Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the Soccer Capital of America content series through Sporting Kansas City. We are now getting ready for the knockout rounds. The United States taking on the Netherlands on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. And we're going to get you ready for that all straight ahead on the podcast today. We've got Connell McCourt with us. We've got Chad Reynolds. We've got Ali Trost Martin on her way to a wedding. She's flying all over the she's going all over the place. She still knew whatever she can to get back to the power and light district on Saturday morning, which is insane. But that's where we're at right now, ladies and gentlemen. History is upon us with these young Americans making it to the uh, to the knockout rounds of the 2022 World Cup. I want to let you know in the next segment, we are going to be joined by Tony Miola. U.S. men's national team goalkeeper who knows what it's like to be a part of a young group of Americans going to the World Cup four years ahead of the World Cup coming to America and then playing in the World Cup in America. He did all those things, and he's kind of at the center of a lot of this stuff, whether he wants to be or not, because he does a show with Eric Winalda, who's been throwing all kinds of grenades out there uh, verbally through this whole situation. We'll talk about all that with Tony. I can't wait to have that conversation with him about this young American uh, team and what they've done so far. Guys, before we start to preview the Netherlands match, there's a lot to unpack uh, from the when we did our little post-match roundup on Twitter spaces, all of us with hoarse voices after another epic watch party and just an absolutely stressful day against Iran. Uh, all the stuff that's come out since. There's the happy stuff. There's the video of Christian Pulisic celebrating with his cell phone as the team comes into the hotel. Then there's the toxic uh, U.S. soccer Twitter audience that immediately looks to the 0.5 second clip of Gio Reyna sulking, apparently, uh, you know, whatever he really was doing. But that's what was taken away He's from He's walking. The- He's, He's walking through a lobby. All right. Okay. What do you look like when you walk through a hotel now, lobby? I'm going to jump in here and say that I think that that 0.5 second clip, while just a, a glimpse, does say a lot. Now, he could have gotten a, a crummy text from somebody, but he's got his headphones on. There's everyone cheering. You're walking through a tunnel. He's well into the lobby at that point. I don't know. I think it says a lot. I agree. He's not involved. He's, he kind of looks like he's checked out a wee bit. But. He's walking behind Swagoo, uh Serginio Dest, who's just like vibing. You've got Christian Pulisic in your face with a cell phone, hyping everybody up. Headphones on. Come on. Uh-uh. But if I but if that's me, if that's me, Allie, I'm doing if, if I'm walking through and Connell's swagooing and, and, and dancing his way through the thing with his John Lennon glasses on and all that, like like if he's Serginio Dest in that moment and I'm Claudio or sorry, Claudio Reyna, Gio Reyna, I I'm reacting the same way because I'm not that guy. I'm not a dancer, I'm not a like I might be smiling and high fiving a little bit more, but like also I wanted to play soccer today and I didn't get to play today. So I know I don't, I'm not, I'm not mad. I, I yeah. just, I don't know. It's I think, I think we're making you. a lot out of this. It's the t- I don't know. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I just think, I think it did say a lot, but I also am not going to read too much into 0.5 seconds. I, I do think it says something, but I don't think it's like he shouldn't be getting dragged on Twitter the way that he is. 
Right. I think the bottom line is that we are all part of the problem now because we've had this conversation too. <laughs> we're, we're breaking down yeah. our body language. It's interesting that you say that he's getting dragged, uh, Ali, though, because I see a lot more of Greg Berhalter getting dragged nah. for not playing him by people. Um, that's the part of this whole equation that's actually annoying me right now. I can't – well, I can believe it because it's U.S. soccer. It's uh, it's social media it, but but it but it, I'm I'm flabbergasted by the amount of criticism that Greg Berhalter is taking with this team right now. This team, all they've done is qualify for the World Cup, which was the most important part. Beat Mexico twice in games that actually mattered, and get out of the group stage without losing a game or conceding a goal through the run of play, um, and make it to this round and. All I'm hearing is, well, boy, just imagine if we had a good coach. And, 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 and it's as if it's all just, well, he's got this talent dumped in his lap and he's just bungled his way and, and fumbled his way to, to these results. I think it's outrageous. I really do. I think he's done a tremendous job with this team. Has he gotten every single thing right? No, no manager does. Um, do we know what all the stories are with Gio Reyna or the rest of this team? No, we don't. Um, I think I, so. I just want to say that part, but but to get to the Geo Reina part, as as you know, if you listen to any of our content, I have some thoughts. <laughs> I was the one that stated I think that he the young man needs to grow up a little bit. He's twenty years old. That's not an insult to him. Most twenty year olds do. Hell, I'm forty six and I still need to grow up a little bit myself. You know. So, but but I do think that that is I stand by that statement right now. Um, I saw. I want, I want to say two things about it, and I'll open it up to the room for, for discussion. I think we should all remember how Greg Berhalter handled the Weston McKinney situation during qualifying when it did not seem clear that this team was going to make it through qualifying in CONCACAF. He sent him home you know, because of a curfew violation that happened, and it was an uproar, and people were reacting wildly. He brought him back. He never he, 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 he never really threw the kid under the bus from that point on. He relied on him. He didn't lose him. He didn't lose Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney is still a massive part of this team. I thought he handled that whole situation brilliantly. He showed that we won't tolerate people uh, acting outside of the boundaries of, of what we have set here as a team, no matter how talented you are. But he also didn't just cast the kid aside. He was able to keep him to a point where he's still invested. And I certainly hope that's what's happening right now with this whole Gio Reyna situation. And I think the track record shows that it will be as long as Gio Reyna is willing to play the other part of that equation. I, I saw a great story from Stu Holden from his experience at the World Cup when he had a moment where he was pouting and upset because he wasn't playing and wanted to be. And the whole team got in a hot tub that night and he just kind of let his frustration out about not playing. And the team said to him, some of the leaders on the team at that time said to him, we're glad you got that out. It's fine that you're frustrated. Now shut up about it and get on the same page with all the rest of us because this is about the U.S. men's national team. This is not about you. And whatever role yours is for this, this tournament, you have to be on board and support everybody else and do your job and be bought in. And he said that completely flipped his attitude. 
I feel certain that the Tyler Adams and, and, and Tim Reams, et cetera, of the world have had that conversation with Gio Reyna. I think he still has a part to play in this World Cup. Yep. And if that message got through to him, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see him have some moments in this World Cup where he helps the United States men's national team. Yeah, motivated. 100%. Motivated. Yeah, I, I just I, – I think, you know, it, no one is ever going to know – what is always going behind going on behind the scenes. That's why you get all of these, you know, toxic conversations on social media because there's so much speculation. People can only form opinions based on the information that they have available to them. But the best coaches know how to not just take care of the important side of, of their job, the winning, the tactics, uh, the putting right the right game plan together, the right players together to get the job done. They also know how to handle, which might be even more important and, and a bigger part of their job, uh, whether they like it or not, <clears throat> handling the personalities. Every player is so different. Making sure that you understand each individual's goals and know how to make those goals of each individual play into what the collective team goals are and have rules, have expectations, make sure that you set parameters to where everyone knows how they should act and you you treat everybody the same if they're acting out of bounds or out of line no matter how talented that person is i i know i just so many conversations that i've had with peter vermese about you know how hard it is and how much time he dedicates to getting to know each individual player on his team so that he knows how to manage the individual in addition to managing the team and i, I just think that those are things that you know while a lot of people want to criticize Greg Berhalter, his decision making, he has a reason for for everything, every decision that he does or that he makes, everything that he does. And so, you know, I'm sure this is a, is another one of those things. And when it comes to how the team's performed up to this point, Nate, you, you listed off all of the achievements thus far this year. I think, uh, well, yeah, you can have some criticisms with some in-game management. Like that's all part of our jobs to analyze and, and you know, break things down. He's done a fantastic job with this team, no matter what happens on Saturday. And you just hope that with anything having to do with individual players and Gio Reyna and does it become a problem in the locker room or not? I think that you shouting out the West McKinney situation gives me the confidence that if anything is going on in that locker room, Greg Berhalter is going to have a good handle on it because he's shown us that up to this point. Absolutely. And and listen, I have issues with Burhalter and some tactical decisions at times. I have issues with his substitutions. I even have issues with some of his roster selection. But he's gotten so many of the big decisions right. The Wesson McKinney situation, naming Tyler Adams the captain of the squad for the World Cup, who, you know, clearly Polisic is kind of the the emotional, like fun guy leader. We saw that in the, the video the other day. But Tyler Adams Christian Pulisic doesn't handle the situation that Tyler Adams handled with the Iranian journalists as well as Tyler Adams did. Tyler Adams is wise beyond his years. He's mature beyond his years. And also, Tyler Adams is probably the right guy to sit Gio Reyna down at some point and say, hey, man, I get it. You want to play soccer. But you have a part to play, and your role in this team is bigger than on the field. It's off the field too. But you will have a part to play if you play your cards right. Get your shit together. And, and, and go on. Like, like that's the captain's job, right? And I feel like that coming from Tyler Adams is even better than coming from Claudio Reyna, you know? Like, like it, you know, the, 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 coming from dad, who dad obviously has a role to play in this because of his pedigree as well. But I, just, I think Burhalter continues to get 
the big decisions right, even if we don't always agree with some of the tactical stuff. Although, hang on, real quick, hand up, putting Weston Zimmerman or, or, or putting Walker Zimmerman, Weston Zimmerman. I'm going to combine names. Walker Zimmerman on the other day, and going to a three man back, three three center backs and a five man back line. Tactical genius because suddenly. They Iran couldn't mark up the the two center backs one for one anymore, and Walker Zimmerman was free to win everything in the air, and it's like that's why we won the game. So sometimes he gets the tactical decisions right too. And uh, look, and let's be honest. See if the US score two, three more goals in this competition. I don't think anyone's talking about you, Arena. I mean, that's I think it, there's a bit of trepidation there because the US can't score well, can't score at will, I guess, and that's where people think Reina would come in and help that. That's all. That's inevitable if you're not scoring goals. But as just as Chad said, all the big decisions he's got right. He's got them. He's got them all spot on. Who, like where he starts, who he starts. The thing that I'm wondering, and actually, this is probably be a good question for you guys. Was that a bit of foreshadowing? What we seen at the end of the last game with Zimmerman coming in and then playing as a three-man backline, because you're playing against Holland in the next game, the Netherlands, and. It's going to be a bit of a different concept than we've seen as uh, they're probably not going to have the ball as much. They're probably not going to be the team forcing the issue as much. Do you, With Beerhalter showing us, he's not scared to change things. He's not scared to be pragmatic and move things around if he thinks that fits the opponent. Do you think there's any chance he goes from a back 40 to a back five against Holland? No. I, I, I shouldn't say no chance because uh, in life there's always a chance, right? But I think... I think I think it's going to be interesting to see who who partners with Tim Ream, and I think it's interesting, by the way, how quickly things change. We should all remember this: how quickly things change. Walker Zimmerman was the one guy that everybody thought was the anchor of this this back line, right? He was the one guy you knew was going to be there, and then it was always who's going to be next to Walker Zimmerman. But it was actually Zimmerman that got pulled out last time, and 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 Cameron Carter Vickers that got put in place. And Tim Ream has been just solid as a rock the entire time he's played back there, and he's played really well. So I think who plays next to him is a better question. Burhalter said exactly what we all talked about, Connell, when we discussed Cameron Carter-Vickers before the game. He was perfect for that game because you knew you were going to have the ball. You knew you were going to be on the front foot, and CCV is perfect at that. Going to be a different game this time, so which guy do you go with in this one? I think that's going to be interesting to see. I think the United States are coming to play in this game. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, you guys need to calm me down because I'm ready to go for Saturday. I was crapping myself. I was so nervous for the game against Iran because to me it was a game of a lot to lose and, and all the expectations are on you. This to me, and, and I go back to what Peter Vermees said on the first podcast we did. He said, we match up well against England because they want to play. And our guys are better in a game that's a little more open and against teams that want to play. And what was the best performance we saw from the United States? It was that game against England. And I think that the Netherlands are not as good as England. I I think that uh, they have some wildly talented players. They don't have England's roster. And I think if they come out to play, I think the United States are ready for this game. And I think they're going – yes, the Netherlands might have more of the ball, but I don't think they're going to have more of the chances. I, I really don't. I, I'm, I am just 
man, I need to calm down. I, I'm not nervous about this game because I feel, you know what I have in my hands? I have a ton of house money that I'm going to the tables with right now. And, and I'm bursting with confidence because I think this has already been a success as a World Cup for the United States. It's not a failure no matter what happens next. And all I see is a big old opportunity for a bunch of young guys who are brimming with confidence to go make something happen. I love I, I love everything about that, Nate, because I think the opportunity is in front of this crew right now. I think tactically this is a fun matchup. I think there's – the Netherlands – is the highest pressing team or the, the most pressing team so far in this tournament. The U S press has been a big, huge part of their game. And it's been super like fantastically effective when they press. It's when they sit back that they, we all get a little, you know, shaky and a little scary. I think these teams are going to try and press each other at times. They're going to look for the trigger points. They're going to look for all those moments and it's going to be really fun. Connell, I don't think they go to a five man back line, mostly because of what the Netherlands has done with the attack it's largely been interchangeable with Gakpo. Now Depay's up there, but Gakpo drifts in in and off the left wing, and he does like they're not just pointing two strikers up top and like marking up the center back. So you don't necessarily need to go to a five man back line. Also, Daily Blind doesn't scare me going forward. No, he's like, like forty. Yeah, yeah, and he's 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 um, he's not fleet of foot, you know. So you've got you've got Serginho Desk running at Daily Blind. Which I which I like, and on the left side you've got Jedi Robinson running at. I, it'll probably be Dumfries. It's been Dumfries through most of this tournament as the outside mid wingback for for the Netherlands. And Dumfries is a beast, and he's fast. But like defensively, I feel like Jedi can get the better of him. And we saw the U.S. have such luck and success with their rotations and the way that they moved players through the half spaces and especially on that left side of the field with Polisic tucking in, Robinson going wide, Weston McKinney sliding, like that opened up a ton of opportunity. Tactically, I think the U.S. has done a lot right in this tournament. And if it is a three-man back line and it looks like it'll probably be some combo of Virgil van Dyke, Ake, um, and oh god, who who played the last match? I, I now I'm of course forgetting who played the last match for them back there. Oh, Timber, Timber played the last match. Like, I just I look at that and I go, there's a lot of talent there. But you know what's tactically pretty good against a three man back line? A four three three where you're utilizing the half spaces and you have over, overlapping wing backs. How many times have we seen that with Sporting Kansas City throughout the years? Right. Like, this is just such a fun tactical matchup. I'm so excited. And also, you know, ne the Netherlands midfield on paper is so good, right? Frankie de Jong, whoever's playing behind Gakpo and Depay. But they are rotating through it like crazy. They can't figure out who they want to start there. Is it Coupe Miners? Is it, is it Darun? Is it, you know, like, Burgeis? It's a mess. They don't know who their best three-man midfield is right now. The one spot I wouldn't touch anything for the U.S. is MMA. Those three guys have been lights out. You arguably have the best performing midfield in the tournament so far. Don't touch it. Go out, dominate the game in the midfield, and it'll be a really fun match. Chad, I love everything that you just said. I completely agree. Play to your strengths. The, the wings are where I'm looking in this game. Overload the channels. I think Serginho Dest has really um, just progressed throughout even this group stage. Jedi Robinson had a couple nervy moments losing the ball, but um, brings so much as we've seen so far in this group stage. I think that the U.S. will have a lot of opportunities. I think that there's going to be a lot that they were able to learn from 
what did and didn't work in the attack. Also, how many, like, just bangers from in and around outside the box did they just, like, kind of shoot way off target, over the top? I think the U.S. are due for a nice, like, little rocket from outside the area. So that's, like, a little prediction. That Law I've of got. averages. Yeah, right. It's got to work. But the other thing I'll say, just... Another storyline that's awesome going into this game is the fact that Serginio Dest came up playing with so many of the players on this team coming up through Ajax and like chose to play for the United States and is now getting to play against a team that he has so much so much familiarity with. Um, I just I think that the U.S. are going to come out come out and play. I don't think you change anything, but what's great going forward in this tournament is that you know we saw what putting in Walker Zimmerman as, you know, a, a third center back looked like. And while maybe it didn't necessarily, that tactical change against Iran didn't really, like, make any of the nerves, de- like, lessened because of the inability to, like, hold the ball once they got it out of their defensive third, you, you saw that that worked. I mean, you have one of the best aerial threats in, in Walker Zimmerman on both sides of the ball. Tim Ream's been fantastic, and you get Cameron Carter-Vickers and him uh, a full game together, which I think can only be a good thing going forward. So I think, uh, like you said, Nate, we're playing with, with house money right now. Um, this midfield is one of the best in the tournament, and I think there's a lot of reason to be excited. Well, they're going to go. I think they'll go with the back three. It'll probably be Delict, the other one at the back instead of Timber or, or, or Ake. But I think I don't think that's a bad thing because he got the run around in the first game, and we haven't seen him since. But uh, the reason it, I honestly I don't know. I think there's a possibility he could go to a back three. Brandon kind of stick him in that out there because it uh, doesn't really look like it. But I'm just thinking because that that's what I expect England to do. The further this goes into the tournament, they're going to start playing three at the back when they come up against the better teams. It really just comes down to how good are Holland, how good are the Netherlands. Do you, you fear them more than you think that uh, you can take the game to them? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe that's just me. I mean, grasping at straws because I think Zimmer, bringing Zimmerman in, they look pretty solid. I think that won the game, honestly, in the last game. Just winning everything, heading it out. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me pulling at it out of nowhere. But it, it could it could happen. I don't think I don't think the the Dutch are just going to lump the ball forward though the same way that that Iran yeah, was at the end. I, I just think who who do you who are you taking off the field? You, you bring in you know the center backs are not the strength of this team, and you, you put on an extra center back. You're going to take off one of those fullbacks. You're going to take off one of those midfielders. The only place you can take maybe later off, on because yeah. because de- yeah. if you're protecting the lead. Game. Maybe if you're protecting a lead or something like that, I don't know. We'll see. We're going to take a break because we've got Tony Miola coming up on the show, and then we'll get to our kind of predictions. We got all got to do our picks to kick here and see who is going to uh, be the hero this time around for us. Right after this, this is the Soccer Capital of America podcast series through Sporting Kansas City. And we are back with an absolute all-star cast on our Soccer Capital KC podcast series during this World Cup. And it is incredible. The uh, It just kind of keeps reiterating to us why we're calling Kansas City the Soccer Capital. When you talk about the names that have been on this show already uh, for this World Cup, we've had Peter Vermees, we've had Matt Beasler, we've had Benny Failhaber, we've had Diego Gutierrez with the U.S. soccer delegation in Qatar. And now we got one of the great goalkeepers in American history 
Tony Miola uh, joining us on the show as well. I want to make sure everybody knows too, because it's to me it's appointment radio, Sirius XM satellite radio. Tony Miola on uh, counterattack with a lot of different great stars that he will co-host with. There's been some some wild stuff with Eric Winalda of late, but uh, but I always tune in to listen to Tony because he brings a sense of actual reason to the show and all that. It's uh, hey, Tony, it's great to see you. It's great to talk to you, man. How are you? I'm good, guys. I uh, hope you're doing well. I'm sure you're uh, about as sleep-deprived as I am from this World Cup, right? <laughs> I'm so happy the games oh. are at 10 and 2 Eastern right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and man, I mean, I guess the early early morning games are over with now. But these uh, these group stage games have been crazy. I'm I'm curious just to start off, Tony. What have you thought of this World Cup as a whole so far? How entertained have you been by this year's edition? Well, I'm, I think I'm entertained by most World Cups because you know, I, I go on. You know, I feel like in between the World Cups for four years and, and people who are so EPL centric, right, they don't want to look outside the EPL. And I try to remind them all the time that there's there's great players all over the world. You might not know their name, right? You might not even know the clubs that they play for. But when you see the World Cup and you see what's happening and you see early on in Japan pull off a result or Saudi Arabia pull off a result and you're looking at players that let's face it, most people have never seen before unless you're really studying the game, right? You start to realize, holy cow, man, there's a lot of really good players around the world, and they all just don't play in five leagues in Europe. Uh, they play in major league soccer. They play in other leagues around the world. They play in South America. And I think for me, that that's the beauty of the World Cup. And uh, But as far as enjoyment value, uh, 1 to 10, it's absolutely a 10 right now for me. You know, I I love that you say that, Tony, because that's actually one of my favorite things to do now when I watch these games. I always have some sort of device, my cell phone, whatever, on me, and I have the lineups for both teams because every time I see a guy do something, it's like, well, I got to tap on his name and see where he plays. <laughs> you know, how old is this guy? Where is he from? And, uh, and and you might be seeing him pop up in a different place later on. Um, and, and that leads me to the United States. we got a lot of questions to ask you about with the United States. But, for example, we've been having all these conversations about the number nine. And I keep saying to these guys, I don't have an opinion on Haji, right, because I don't get to watch Turkish soccer. You know, like I don't, I don't see that league like I do some of these other leagues. But before we get into all that, I just would like to get your overall 30,000-foot view on the performance of this national team to this point, undefeated, haven't scored a lot of goals, get through to the uh, knockout rounds. What have you made of this performance so far from the Americans? Well, I, I think when you go to the World Cup, mission number one is to get out of the first round, right? That's it. But when you really dig deep, um, and no, we haven't attacked, but I didn't come to this World Cup thinking that this U.S. team was going to score three and four goals. Right. That's not what that's not what I looked at from this U.S. team. I thought that they were going to be good defensively, that they would be really good in the midfield. And that's absolutely been the case with Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney and Musa. Um, and I thought we'd struggle to score goals. And that's what it's been. But if I'm going to give it a grade, I'm going to give it an A plus because how many teams in this World Cup? Uh, and we still got a couple of uh, groups to finish up here in the next 24 hours. Right. But how many teams in this World Cup have gone? undefeated in the in the group stage, have not given up a goal in the run of play. The one goal they gave up was against a penalty kick, uh, you know, to Wales, um, and and have gotten themselves to the next round. And I look at – and people were so – there were so many people, at least on our radio show, uh, that called in and were so upset that we didn't qualify 
in the first two games of this thing. And I think only France, if I'm not, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was France, Portugal, and Brazil were the only teams that qualified after two games. We're, you know, we're still looking at Croatia and Belgium battling. We're still looking at teams like that trying to get to the next round. Germany sitting in last place after two games in their group. You know what I'm thinking to myself? Did we not come to, to this, this moment in time and think that it was going to take three games to qualify for the next round? I always did. I never thought this team was – it would have been it would have been great. And were, were there opportunities? Probably somewhere along the way. But you're talking about the first game against Wales for both teams, essentially, right? Wales hadn't been in the World Cup for 64 years. So it's essentially the first World Cup game, for at least for all those players. Same thing for our players. So there was going to be some growing pains. And I can't imagine going into the World Cup, many people thought like, okay, England's the game we're going to win, <laughs> right? Like that's the game we're going to go and we're going to pick up three points. And that was the one you were pretty much most worried about. We played well. We had some opportunities, um, and it was going to come down to Iran for me. And for me, they got the job done. So, like, it's I, I don't I don't understand. I don't comprehend how you how you take away any of the success that they had and look at it as anything other than an A plus. Can they play better? Yeah, of course they can play better. But I'm watching I'm watching the reports out of Belgium. I'm watching the reports out of Argentina. I'm watch forget forget if I knew German, I probably would read more more reports and trying to do it all and get it all translated. But you go read the reports out of countries like that that are I don't know what do we call them soccer nations, you know, or the big soccer however you want to term it. It doesn't matter to me. But you look at those reports and then you relate it to what the U.S. did, and I'm like, man, the boys have done really good. Tony, I think uh, I think you are one of a handful of people qualified to answer this question, and I think this is a fascinating thing. You went to a World Cup in 1990 on that really young team, and that's we've heard this over and over um, about how young this United States roster is. And then you went to a World Cup in 1994 and got out of the group stage and got to go play in the knockout round. This is a really young team that is now playing in the knockout round. You know, what what learnings would you impart on this group if you were there in Qatar that that from going in as a young guy and and all the the kind of overwhelming experience of the World Cup to, hey, now you're in the knockout round and the difference of of approaching that. I mean, I just think it's fascinating that there's only a handful of guys that ever got to do it. You're one of them. Yeah, look, I think the difference, right, between the two teams in 1990, we were the youngest team, not only by a couple of months, I think, uh, compared to this team. This is the second youngest team we've ever had in the World Cup. But when I look at it, I'm thinking to myself, like, we were a young team with no experience. This is a young team with a lot of experience, right? When you start looking at their players and looking and look at how many um, big games, how many important games they played, um, so none of this surprised me. And I, I've been the biggest preacher since 2018 at this group because I was with the youth national teams, remember, for five and a half years. And in 2018, I tried to tell everyone when when everybody was was, you know, knocking all of U.S. soccer down and everything that happens from the development system on up. And I kept saying, there's young kids here that can play, man. Wait till you see some of these guys come up. And I've always and I still believe this team is built for 2026. But as we know, the old saying, right, nothing tomorrow, there's nothing promised to us. Right. So 
they have an opportunity here. Um, I'm not surprised by them getting out of the first round. I didn't think it was a given that they were going to get out of the first round. They never thought it was a given. Um, they've gotten this part of the job done. This is all, I, I think, I think Greg kind of put it best. I want to say it was after the England game. may have been after Iran, but, you know, so many press conferences. When he, when he said, these guys are basically learning on the job at the World Cup. Right. And that's really what they're doing. They're learning on the job because none of them have played here. And I, I don't really know a better way to, to express what these guys are going through. We learned on the job in 1990 in hopes that in 1994 it would look better and it did look better. And then you start to build on those things. But this is a, a really good generation of players. Um, I think it's a pretty balanced team. Yeah, that we still have some issues at the number nine. Yeah, no doubt about it. But we these are not secrets. We knew all of this stuff going into the World Cup. I don't know why that was going to change. We're always hoping that someone at the World Cup is going to emerge in that position, right? Is going to emerge as a goal scorer. But for me, the team's always been it was going to be goal scoring by committee. Um, so I'm sure they've learned enough now to feel comfortable to go and play against the Netherlands, right? They're in the tournament now. They have their feet you know, firmly on the ground right now. They've gotten past the first hurdle. Now it's, uh, you know, let's face it, their knockout round started already. They've already been in the knockout round. That was against Iran, right? Um, you lose and you go home. And that's the position they're going to be in for the rest of the tournament. Tony, when you talk about how much, you know, this team can build on, not just from this World Cup to the next World Cup, but within this World Cup right now, do you, do you get the sense, and I know Peter Vermees, uh, your former teammate, has talked about this before, sometimes uh, the attack is the, the last piece of the puzzle to come together. Do you get the sense that this team can start scoring goals at a, a higher clip as this tournament advances with a big test now on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Peter, right? Defensively, just to keep yourself organized is always the easiest part. And I, I, I'm going to use the term easy lightly, right? Because to get guys on the same page is not easy, but that's the part that you can you can manipulate first and, and make sure that you're solid defensively. Uh, and yeah, the attack is always uh, the hardest part. We hear this all the time. It, it really it's not just uh, exclusive to our sport, right? You think about football and you think about basketball, right? That's the part that's the heart of it, just the, the, the movement and the understanding of movements from other players. And um, and when you're young, that, that sometimes is a little bit more difficult. And when you don't have a focal point, right, in a, a number nine that you know is going to be the guy. Like, we don't have – what we don't have, and I'm not trying to compare Haji Wright or Josh Sargent to – anybody right that's because i don't think it's fair to anybody but what we didn't do coming into this world cup is we didn't have a brian mcbride like a guy that we knew for all through qualifying like this was our guy this was the guy and whenever you needed an outlet pass you knew where he was and you knew he was going to win a head ball and you were going to go win a knockdown and all these little things when you have different forwards all the time and we've had so many that have played in that position it's it looks a little bit different and i think that's uh um, that sometimes stunts maybe the the progression a little bit, but the the other most the, the other important thing, and it's been really evident to me, is if you're going to be good in the attack, you got to be good in the midfield, and we've got that part locked up right now. Those three guys in the middle of the field have been great. Christian Pulisic, there's been moments where you still see, oh, he holds onto the ball too much. I'd rather have a guy that says, you know what, we're at the World Cup, 
this is my team, if you will, right? I, I've, I've been through this cycle once. We didn't make it once. I'm here at the World Cup. I'm going to do whatever I can, right? To I'm going to throw my body on the line against Iran to score a goal. Um, and I joked, I was joking with my buddies, but like every guy in the world, when that happened, they're just cringing, right? They were happy to we went in, but guys, Ali, I get it. It's a little different, but guys were like, oh boy, <laughs> Christian's in trouble, right? And and he's come out of it. It looks like he's going to be okay. But my point is, um, I'd rather have a guy that 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 does that and says, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I can, than a guy that kind of shies away and makes it really simple because Christian is not in the group. Uh, Timothy Way is not in the group. Eunice Moose is not in the group to be conservative players. Like we have enough of those, right? And Anthony Robinson, I went back and watched Iran. Anthony Robinson didn't play great against Iran. He lost so many first touches. He almost dribbled into guys three or four times in moments where you thought, oh boy, if we could just keep this for one more pass in this position, we'd be good. But he put so much pressure on the other team and pins you back so far that you're okay when he loses the ball there because at least we've got the, the opposition pinned back a little bit. Um, interesting against the Netherlands with three in the back. I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Greg Berhalter does uh, in the next game with this lineup because we have seen him go uh, against England, right, at least defending in a 4-4-2 with two guys up front, with, with, which apparently, if you if you listen to the interviews from the English players, completely confused what they were trying to do uh, because none of us had seen it before. Um, so who knows? Maybe he's got another trick up his sleeve. So, Tony, just uh, getting – I want to get your perspective just as a goalkeeper. Um, with Matt Turner and Goldnut, he hasn't had – a lot to do so far um, for my money. I mean, it, against Wales, he was having to deal with a couple of crosses coming in, maybe settling the nerves of the defenders around him in that first game. But were you? Uh, have you been impressed by him since he's came in so far? And before the roster came out, did you have him in ahead of Stefan or did you think Zach Stefan was the man? Yeah, uh, j- just in the last window, I had him ahead of Zach Stefan. Not up until that point. Um, I didn't have him there. I had Zach Stefan in the group. But but I think um, when I say in the group, I mean in the in the final roster, right? And I don't think anyone saw that Zach Steffen wasn't going to be part of this. But as we know, sometimes you don't accept, um, maybe you don't accept the role that you're given, and maybe it's best that uh, you know you bring guys that accept the roles. I, I was part of that in 2000 uh, in 2002. That was my role going into the World Cup. So it's either. You accept it and you work with that role or you don't be part of the group. And um, I, I think that the someone mentioned I was talking to might have been Tab Ramos came on our show the other day and talked about the leadership of Matt Turner. The saves we had seen, the improvement with his feet we have been gradually seeing. The confidence we've we've seen to some extent, but the leadership, the vocal part of it, we hadn't seen a lot. And for me, that's a product of the day you get named to the team when you find out you're the number one guy, right? Because when you're not the number one guy, it's always kind of hard, right? You're, you're always, there's always, you're walking on eggshells. Do I go overboard in, in this moment or do I, there's always a, a question in your head. Matt Turner came into, got off the plane in Qatar and he knew he was the number one guy. And this was quote unquote, his team in the back. Right. And I think it makes it a lot easier. And I think if Greg did in that respect, if he did one thing right, he he got rid of any confusion because let's face it, 
they were in Qatar, what, 10 days before the, the first game, I think it was, or maybe it was nine days, whatever it was. But if Zach Steffen was there, right, we all would have been asking the question. And, he, and Greg would have been asked the question, who's your number one guy? Who's going to start in goal? You know, it, it came up through all qualifying, so there's no reason not to think it wasn't going to be a conversation going into the World Cup, right? So he eliminated all those questions with with a move and I think it was it, it's really helped him but it's absolutely for me helped Matt Turner we're visiting with United States and Kansas City legend Tony Miola and there's one question that Greg Berhalter has not been able to to eliminate and I know it's one you've already had to talk about a lot Tony but it's it's we got to ask the question because it just seems to be on the mind of everybody we you know it's for me these are champagne problems that we're not used to having as Americans. Why is this really talented, a high, highly promising player not getting playing time over other guys? Everybody seems to want to talk about Gio Reyna. People are even analyzing his body language when you see a half of a second of him, you know, walking through the, the hotel where the other guys are celebrating and he doesn't look happy. And what does that mean? Where do you come down on the way Rain has been used and that entire saga as you see it right now? Well, just to give you an idea, um, when when we predicted our lineups like everybody did, um, I didn't have him in my first lineup against uh, against Wales, but I had him as one of my first two subs with uh, Aronson as my first two subs. And going into the England match, when he didn't play in that match, I had him as a starter in that match. So you kind of get an idea where I fall in line with it. From a, a footballing standpoint, I don't know, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And this is the reason I said on my show that we never know what's happening behind the scenes, right? We just have no idea. And that that's not good or bad. Um, you know, it could be something that that they're protecting. Um, now, Gio, the, the, the mess started right after the first game when Greg kind of alluded to the fact that they did some fitness check, which, of course, when you're talking about Gio, and I think it was just a bad choice of words, because when you're talking about Gio, what's, what was your first reaction? I'm sure the same thing that everybody's was that, Oh man, Gio might have tweaked something in training, right? Yeah. I mean, that's everyone's initial yeah. reaction. That's what it was. Um, and and then Gio immediately after that, I guess, is asked, and he says, "No, I'm 100 percent." And then it just kind of blew up from there, right? So, I my fr- I have my friends all say the same thing, and I'm sure you guys have discussed it. Like, we need Gio in the lineup, and my question right now is, okay, perfect. I agree with you. We need Gio in the lineup. But who do you take out? Thank right. you, thank right. you, Tony. Thank, I, is is Tim Way a chop liver? Right. I know. Like, do you want Pulisic I, on the bench? Like I, that's, I guess, part of where I'm 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 at. Thank you for saying. Yeah, that. no, I I say that all the time. Okay, perfect. Because because I, I always say this like we got to fire the manager. Okay, great. Well, who do you bring in? Like who's the guy to come in? Right. In this case, we we got to bring June. Okay, I get it. I'm with you. I don't take Tim Way off the field, assuming that Christian Pulisic is fit for um, Netherlands, I don't take him off the field. Greg and everyone, and, and my first solution was put Timothy Way as the nine, right? Because he's played there before. But Greg Berhalter has already told us he didn't bring Timothy Way to the World Cup to be a nine. So that leads me to believe that Tim Way is not going to be a nine. So my other two options, I got two other options to get to you on the field. And that's take Eunice Musa off the field or take Weston McKinney off the field. And I'm not really doing that right now. 
not in the not in the fourth game. Now, if Christian can't go, there might be an automatic solution for Gio right in the match, and he goes and he plays out wide, and, and Tim Way on the other side, and Brendan Aronson comes off the bench again, or Brendan Aronson gets those minutes, and Gio is still waiting to get on the field, but. I don't think it's just as easy as put Gio in. Like that for me is is difficult in just trying to to get it done, right? So I'm I'm with you. It's just like I don't know who you take off the field right now, especially going into your fourth game. It's not like it's the second game. You got some guys that that have had a little bit of World Cup time now. I think it gets even more difficult for Gio. But with that said, I think there's still enough time for Gio to have what I would call a World Cup moment right in, in yeah. this tournament yeah no doubt about it i mean i think his story could still very much be written in this tournament and you know and even though he says he's 100 percent, what player is not going to say he's 100 percent? he wants to play and even if he's just slowed a little bit i could see great and this is just speculation and everything but i could see burhalter saying let's make sure that we, we're not overusing him right now. We've got these other weapons and all that. And and like you said, there's so much going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. I feel like uh, I'm going to take it back and we'll wrap it up with this. Tony Miola said that he gives this team an A+. I want everybody to hear that. He gives this team an A-plus for what they've done so far in this World Cup. And I think they deserve our support. And And the last question for you, Tony, before we let you go, what do you think is going to happen in this Netherlands game? H- how excited are you to see this team against those guys? What type of a match are you expecting? Um, I don't think we'll have the ball as much as we've had in the first couple of matches. Um, I don't know that we'll go and press them. Uh, their midfield's pretty talented, and, and I think they've got a – and the way Gakpo is playing up top, um, I think they have to squeeze the field as much as they can against him, which is okay, especially in the first half for me. Um the my fear with the Netherlands and and I don't know how you guys feel I feel it's a great team that has has underwhelmed so far in the tournament it hasn't given you like shock and awe when you watch them play but my fear is if there's any team and I'm trying to think of another one because Argentina's had their moment already Portugal's already had their moment um if there's a team that has like two or three levels left in it you know two two or three more gears if you will I get the sense that it's the Netherlands, right? And I just kind of hoping that those two or three gears don't show up on Saturday. Uh, but that's how I feel about the team. I mean, they're so talented. When I mean, you talk about just Frankie de Jong, right, in the midfield, this is a guy that, forget the Barcelona saga, but before he went to Barcelona, the world wanted Frankie de Jong, right? Everyone did. And Barcelona ends up getting him. Who knows? Is he going to go to Manchester United? But these are the kind of players that you're – talking about potentially the best defender in the world who hasn't been great for the last 12 months, but in Virgil van Dijk. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy the amount of talent they have in this group. Um, and I just, as I said, I hope that those two other gears don't show up on Saturday, but I, I, I will say our young American team, I, I don't see a reason why they should be in awe of, they should respect the Netherlands, but I don't see a reason why they should be in awe of the Netherlands nor do I think they will be because it's a pretty confident group of young players. Man, it's going to be fun. Tony, we, we appreciate the time so much. I'll, I'll remind everybody, listen to Tony on counterattack on Sirius XM satellite radio. If you get a chance, I've been, it's been part of my daily routine uh, for a long time, but I particularly enjoyed it during the world cup. Cause I get his analysis 
after all these amazing games and these last round games, these third, these third leg uh, affairs so far have been pretty crazy. So uh, keep up the great work, man. We appreciate it. And hopefully we can talk to you again soon. Thanks, man. Thanks guys. Yeah. Love you guys, man. Thanks so much. Oh, fantastic conversation with Tony Miola, man. We're so lucky. All the amazing guests that we've had and the perspective that they can each give us and the insight they can each have, each give us on the World Cup and on this particular team and everything. It's just been absolutely uh, fantastic, underscoring once again why we are the soccer capital of America. As we're recording this podcast right now, uh, to reiterate it too, these watch parties, of course, are the best in the country. I don't know about you guys. I'm sure we're all getting text messages from our friends that live in other parts of the country or maybe in Connellsburg case, other parts of the world saying, boy, Kansas City, getting all sorts of love on all the broadcast coverage and rightfully so because we throw the best watch parties in the country and there's not even really a close second. On that note, get your tickets now. It's possible they're going to be sold out by the time you listen to this podcast so um if you haven't gotten them get them as quickly as you can and if you do have tickets get there early on saturday morning tickets do not guarantee entry once they get full they will close the place down and send you to one of the bars in the local area or you're actually going to go somewhere else nine o'clock kickoff set your alarm early gates open at seven uh there's going to be a big line outside the uh, gates by seven o'clock there was for the game against on, on black friday against england it's going to be the same way judging on how fast the tickets have already gone we will see you down there in the power and light all right guys let's get into it here i want to say one thing before i i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and go first on picks to kick this time all right um you talked about the, the netherlands pressing bring it on now maybe this makes me want cameron carter vickers as one of the center backs again because of how clean he is on the ball but there's one video clip that got circulated on social media and we all remember when this moment happened in the game when tyler adams received the ball right in front of his own d and immediately Yunus musa made a breaking run up the field to get behind the uh the the person that was marking him adams faints a pass to the right to uh, Jedi Robinson and then just a perfect pinpoint flick forward to Yunus Musa, who then executes two perfect step overs, uh, sends the, the, the Iranian defender going in two different directions at the same time. And there the break is initiated. I love the idea of other teams pressing a team with the kind of quality that we have with Tyler Adams at the six. I think that's where it all has to start. you got to have a six like we've seen with Elia in Kansas City who's clean on the ball. Matt Turner has shown he's not scared to play with his feet. That's why he went to Arsenal, and he has made serious progress in that category. You have two fullbacks who are not scared to play in tight spaces, and then if you invite that pressure forward, now the athleticism of Pulisic, Weya at all get to go forward so i'm all for it i'm gonna pick tim Oweya again i think he's already he's put the ball in the back of the net a couple of times with phenomenal finishes already his speed against that press he's my guy uh connell i'm gonna actually let's go Allie. Allie, you're gonna get the second pick this time around this is completely arbitrary on my part but who's your pick to kick hey i i I like this role because I was hoping that I could build on what I talked about in the first segment. I'm going with Sergio Dest. Um, I think, you know, the wings are going to be uh, crucial in this game. 
the U.S. getting out on the break, um, the overlapping runs, overloading the channels, and I think Serginio Dest is just going to pop off in this game. Um, again, grew up in the Netherlands. I, I think this is going to be a, a big a big game for him. And uh, and and I'm I'm thinking it's going to happen the same way that I kind of said I, I'm hoping to see a goal scored by the U.S. and it's just going to come via an absolute banger from right outside the 18. All right, a, a banger from outside the 18. Connor McCourt, where where are you going this time? Um, I'll take a risk. I'm going to go Sergeant. Um, I think he is. I think he's the one place. Uh, if I mean, we've talked about Holland's defense. Very good, very experienced. Not a lot of pace. So I think balling over the top is how they're going to try and catch them out. Uh, so yeah, I'll go for Sergeant. I, uh, I I do think we've been a little remiss. I thought Sargent has actually played well in the games so far, and I know the goals haven't been there and not that many goal-scoring chances. I will point out, last time the World Cup winners, France, didn't have a number nine score a goal, I don't believe, the entire tournament, um, and they won the World Cup. I'm not saying the United States are going to do that, but you can win without your number nine scoring at a high level if he does all the other things. And and I like the way Sargent has actually played so far. Chad Reynolds, you get the final say on this. Who's your pick to kick? I like Sargent. I hope he's healthy. We haven't I haven't seen a final report on if they think he's going to play yeah. on Saturday, and that scares me a little bit. Same with Pulisic, although I know we all saw Christian Snapchat. Uh, he's going to play. Um, my pick to kick, Nate, you alluded to it earlier. I think this is a Eunice Musa game. I think he's grown into this tournament more and more. He was so good against England, and then he might have been even better against Iran. I don't – I think this Dutch midfield, as talented as it is on paper, is beatable. I, I love what we've seen from Musa. He's not going to shrink. He's not scared by playing against Frankie de Jong. He's played against Frankie de Jong, you know? So I think that Yunus Musa and his ability to glide past people – I'm not saying this midfield is press-proof, but kind of feels like it at times, the way that they've been playing. I think Yunus Musa breaking the press and creating chances is going to be a big part of this match. And then we know the club that he has in his bag that we've only kind of seen this tournament is that shot from outside the box. He's got the the, the long shot trait if you're a FIFA player. I think that, that Yunus Musa uncorking one of those big right-footed blasts might be the difference in this match because I don't expect the Dutch as much as they're going to press up the field they're not going to bring the center backs out once the U.S. has the ball in possession and unless Virgil van Dijk gets one of those big long legs to it I like Yunus Musa from distance against a largely untested goalkeeper this tournament so we got a couple people calling for bangers long range strikes in this game I love it too it's going to be really exciting to watch this game and, uh, and, and I, I guess this has become part of the podcast series. I will leave you with a little motivation for the United States versus the Netherlands. And this young American team has already gotten the attention of much of the nation. The casual fans who tune in every four years to see the World Cup. Those of us that have been watching and paying attention to soccer over the last four years, have seen this wave of players coming. But the average American has not. The average American is still learning about Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa and Tim Weah and go on down the list. 
the, the nation's going to be watching on Saturday morning. These kids have shown time and time again that the bigger the stage, the more they rise to the occasion. They're not afraid of this moment. They are not afraid of this moment. They are eager for this moment. They're used to playing in adverse conditions. People can talk about qualifying in CONCACAF and the talent that's out there in CONCACAF all they want. They don't know what it's like to go to Honduras, to San Pedro Sula, and try to play a game in those conditions. These Americans do. Those Dutch players are about to find out what it's like to play a game in the desert at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The Americans aren't worried about that. I am excited about this game. We don't know how it's going to turn out. The Dutch are a very, very good team, but they are not too much for the United States of America. Let's have some fun on Saturday, 9 o'clock in the Power and Light District. Get there early. Connell's going to be there getting iconic camera shots that will be tweeted all over the world. Chad Reynolds is going to be quarterbacking this amazing social media coverage along with Jamila and Teresa and everybody else behind the scenes from Sporting Kansas City that are doing this amazing work. And Ali Trost is going to get up at 2.30 in the morning after a wedding and drive to Kansas City to be a part of this. Why wouldn't you want to be there too? This is what it's all about, America. These moments only come along every so often in your lifetime. And whether you're watching it with us in the Power and Light District or with people that you love, wherever you are, we're going to be doing a post-match reaction on Twitter spaces. And then we're going to be getting ready for a matchup with Messi in the quarterfinals. Let's do it, America. This has been the Soccer Capital of America podcast series, and we'll see you next time.